Book Six, Part Two of Plato's Republic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philippa. The Republic by Plato, translated by Benjamin Jowett. Book Six, Part Two. Then shall we proceed to show that the corruption of the majority is also unavoidable and that this is not to be laid to the charge of philosophy any more than the other. By all means. And let us ask and answer in turn, first going back to the description of the gentle and noble nature. Truth, as you will remember, was his leader, whom he followed always and in all things. Failing in this, he was an impostor, and had no part or lot in true philosophy. Yes, that was said. Well, and is not this one quality, to mention no others, greatly at variance with present notions of him? Certainly, he said. And have we not a right to say in his defence that the true lover of knowledge is always striving after being, that is his nature? He will not rest in the multiplicity of individuals which is an appearance only, but will go on. The keen edge will not be blunted, nor the force of his desire abate, until he have attained the knowledge of the true nature of every essence, by a sympathetic and kindred power in the soul, and by that power drawing near and mingling, and becoming incorporate with very being, having begotten mind and truth, he will have knowledge, and will live and grow truly, and then, and not till then, will he cease from his travail. Nothing, he said, can be more just than such a description of him. And will the love of a lie be any part of a philosopher's nature? Will he not utterly hate a lie? He will. And when truth is the captain, we cannot suspect any evil of the band which he leads. Impossible. Justice and health of mind will be of the company, and temperance will follow after. True, he replied. Neither is there any reason why I should again set in array the philosopher's virtues, as you will doubtless remember that courage, magnificence, apprehension, memory were his natural gifts, and you objected that, although no one could deny what I then said, still, if you leave words and look at facts, the persons who are thus described are some of them manifestly useless and the greater number utterly depraved. We were then led to inquire into the grounds of these accusations, and have now arrived at the point of asking why are the majority bad, which question of necessity brought us back to the examination and definition of the true philosopher. Exactly. And we have next to consider the corruptions of the philosophic nature, why so many are spoiled, and so few escape spoiling, I am speaking of those who were said to be useless but not wicked, and, when we have done with them, we will speak of the imitators of philosophy. What manner of men are they who aspire after a profession which is above them, and of which they are unworthy, and then, by their manifold inconsistencies, bring upon philosophy, and upon all philosophers, that universal reprobation of which we speak? What are these corruptions? he said. I will see if I can explain them to you. 
everyone will admit that a nature having in perfection all the qualities which we required in a philosopher is a rare plant which is seldom seen among men rare indeed and what numberless and powerful causes tend to destroy these rare natures what causes in the first place there are their own virtues their courage temperance and the rest of them every one of which praiseworthy qualities and this is a most singular circumstance destroys and distracts from philosophy the soul which is the possessor of them that is very singular he replied then there are all the ordinary goods of life beauty wealth strength rank and great connections in the state you understand the sort of things these also have a corrupting and distracting effect i understand but i should like to know more precisely what you mean about them grasp the truth as a whole i said and in the right way you will then have no difficulty in apprehending the preceding remarks and they will no longer appear strange to you and how am i to do so he asked why i said we know that all germs or seeds whether vegetable or animal when they fail to meet with proper nutriment or climate or soil in proportion to their vigour are all the more sensitive to the want of a suitable environment for evil is a greater enemy to what is good than to what is not very true there is reason in supposing that the finest natures when under alien conditions receive more injury than the inferior because the contrast is greater certainly and may we not say adamantus that the most gifted minds when they are ill-educated become pre-eminently bad do not great crimes and the spirit of pure evil spring out of a fullness of nature ruined by education rather than from any inferiority whereas weak natures are scarcely capable of any very great good or very great evil there i think that you are right and our philosopher follows the same analogy he is like a plant which having proper nurture must necessarily grow and mature into all virtue but if sown and planted in an alien soil becomes the most noxious of all weeds unless he be preserved by some divine power do you really think as people so often say that our youth are corrupted by sophists or that private teachers of the art corrupt them in any degree worth speaking of are not the public who say these things the greatest of all sophists and do they not educate to perfection young and old men and women alike and fashion them after their own hearts when is this accomplished he said when they meet together and the world sits down at an assembly or in a court of law or a theatre or a camp or in any other popular resort and there is great uproar and they praise some things which are being said or done and blame other things equally exaggerating both shouting and clapping their hands and the echo of the rocks and the place in which they are assembled redoubles the sound of the praise or blame at such a time will not a young man's heart as they say leap within him 
will any private training enable him to stand firm against the overwhelming flood of popular opinion, or will he be carried away by the stream? Will he not have the notions of good and evil which the public in general have? He will do as they do, and as they are, such will he be. Yes, Socrates, necessity will compel him. And yet, I said, there is a still greater necessity, which has not been mentioned. What is that? The gentle force of attainder, or confiscation, or death, which, as you are aware, these new sophists and educators, who are the public, apply when their words are powerless. Indeed they do, and in right good earnest. Now, what opinion of any other sophist, or of any private person, can be expected to overcome in such an unequal contest? None, he replied. No, indeed, I said. Even to make the attempt is a great piece of folly. There neither is, nor has been, nor is ever likely to be, any different type of character, which has had no other training in virtue but that which is supplied by public opinion. I speak, my friend, of human virtue only. What is more than human, as the proverb says, is not included. For I would not have you ignorant that in the present evil state of governments, whatever is saved and comes to good, is saved by the power of God, as we may truly say. I quite assent, he replied. Then let me crave your assent also to a further observation. What are you going to say? Why, that all those mercenary individuals, whom the many call sophists, and whom they deem to be their adversaries, do in fact teach nothing but the opinion of the many, that is to say, the opinions of their assemblies, and this is their wisdom. I might compare them to a man who should study the tempers and desires of a mighty strong beast who is fed by him. He would learn how to approach and handle him, also at what times and from what causes he is dangerous, or the reverse, and what is the meaning of his several cries, and by what sounds when another utters them he is soothed or infuriated. And you may suppose further, that when, by continually attending upon him, he has become perfect in all this, he calls his knowledge wisdom, and makes of it a system or art which he proceeds to teach, although he has no real notion of what he means by the principles or passions of which he is speaking, but calls this honourable and that dishonourable, or good and evil, or just or unjust, all in accordance with the tastes and tempers of the great brute. Good he pronounces to be that in which the beast delights, and evil to be that which he dislikes and he can give no other account of them except that the just and noble are the necessary, having never himself seen, and having no power of explaining to others the nature of either, or the difference between them, which is immense. By heaven, would not such a one be a rare educator? Indeed he would. And in what way does he who thinks that wisdom is the discernment of the tempers and tastes of the motley multitude, whether in painting or music, or finally in politics, differ 
from him whom I have been describing. For when a man consorts with the many, and exhibits to them his poem, or other work of art, or the service which he has done the state, making them his judges, when he is not obliged, the so-called necessity of Diomede will oblige him to produce whatever they praise. And yet the reasons are utterly ludicrous, which they give in confirmation of their own notions about the honourable and good. Did you ever hear any of them which were not? No, nor am I likely to hear. You recognise the truth of what I have been saying. Then let me ask you to consider further whether the world will ever be induced to believe in the existence of absolute beauty, rather than of the many beautiful, or of the absolute in each kind, rather than of the many in each kind? Certainly not. Then the world cannot possibly be a philosopher. Impossible. And therefore philosophers must inevitably fall under the censure of the world. They must. And of individuals who consort with the mob and seek to please them. That is evident. Then do you see any way in which the philosopher can be preserved in his calling to the end? And remember what we were saying of him, that he was to have quickness and memory and courage and magnificence. These were admitted by us to be the true philosopher's gifts. Yes. Will not such an one from his early childhood be in all things first among all, especially if his bodily endowments are like his mental ones? Certainly, he said. And his friends and fellow-citizens will want to use him as he gets older for their own purposes. No question. Falling at his feet they will make requests to him, and do him honour and flatter him, because they want to get into their hands now the power which he will one day possess. That often happens, he said. And what will a man such as he is be likely to do under such circumstances, especially if he be a citizen of a great city, rich and noble, and a tall, proper youth? Will he not be full of boundless aspirations, and fancy himself able to manage the affairs of Hellenes and of barbarians, and having got such notions into his head, will he not dilate and elevate himself in the fullness of vain pomp and senseless pride? To be sure he will. Now, when he is in this state of mind, if someone gently comes to him and tells him that he is a fool and must get understanding, which can only be got by slaving for it, do you think that under such adverse circumstances he will be easily induced to listen? Far otherwise. And even if there be some one who through inherent goodness or natural reasonableness has had his eyes opened a little and is humbled and taken captive by philosophy, how will his friends behave when they think that they are likely to lose the advantage which they were hoping to reap from his companionship? Will they not do and say anything to prevent him from yielding to his better nature, and to render his teacher powerless, using to this end private intrigues as well as public prosecutions? There can be no doubt of it. And how can one who is thus circumstanced ever become a philosopher? Impossible. 
then were we not right in saying that even the very qualities which make a man a philosopher may if he be ill-educated divert him from philosophy no less than riches and their accompaniments and the other so-called goods of life we were quite right thus my excellent friend is brought about all that ruin and failure which i have been describing of the natures best adapted to the best of all pursuits they are natures which we maintain to be rare at any time this being the class out of which come the men who are the authors of the greatest evil to states and individuals and also of the greatest good when the tide carries them in that direction but a small man never was the doer of any great thing either to individuals or to states that is most true he said and so philosophy is left desolate with her marriage right incomplete for her own having fallen away and forsaken her and while they are leading a false and unbecoming life other unworthy persons seeing that she has no kinsmen to be her protectors enter in and dishonour her and fasten upon her the reproaches which as you say her reprovers utter who affirm of her votaries that some are good for nothing and that the greater number deserve the severest punishment that is certainly what people say yes and what else would you expect i said when you think of the puny creatures who seeing this land open to them a land well stocked with fair names and showy titles like prisoners running out of prison into a sanctuary take a leap out of their trades into philosophy those who do so being probably the cleverest hands at their own miserable crafts for although philosophy be in this evil case still there remains a dignity about her which is not to be found in the arts and many are thus attracted by her whose natures are imperfect and whose souls are maimed and disfigured by their meannesses as their bodies are by their trades and crafts is not this unavoidable yes are they not exactly like a bald little tinker who has just got out of durance and come into a fortune he takes a bath and puts on a new coat and is decked out as a bridegroom going to marry his master's daughter who is left poor and desolate a most exact parallel what will be the issue of such marriages will they not be vile and bastard there can be no question of it and when persons who are unworthy of education approach philosophy and make an alliance with her who is a rank above them what sorts of ideas and opinions are likely to be generated will they not be sophisms captivating to the ear having nothing in them genuine or worthy of or akin to true wisdom no doubt he said then adamantus i said the worthy disciples of philosophy will be but a small remnant perchance some noble and well-educated person detained by exile in her service who in the absence of corrupting influences remains devoted to her or some lofty soul born in a mean city the politics of which he contemns and neglects and there may be a gifted few who leave the arts which they justly despise and come to her 
or peradventure there are some who are restrained by our friend Theages' bridle, for everything in the life of Theages conspired to divert him from philosophy, but ill health kept him away from politics. My own case of the internal sign is hardly worth mentioning, for rarely, if ever, has such a monitor been given to any other man. Those who belong to this small class have tasted how sweet and blessed a possession philosophy is, and have also seen enough of the madness of the multitude, and they know that no politician is honest, nor is there any champion of justice at whose side they may fight and be saved. Such a one may be compared to a man who has fallen among wild beasts. He will not join in the wickedness of his fellows, but neither is he able singly to resist all their fierce natures, and therefore seeing that he would be of no use to the state or to his friends, and reflecting that he would have to throw away his life without doing any good either to himself or others, he holds his peace and goes his own way. He is like one who, in the storm of dust and sleet which the driving wind hurries along, retires under the shelter of a wall, and seeing the rest of mankind full of wickedness, he is content if only he can live his own life and be pure from evil or unrighteousness, and depart in peace and good will with bright hopes. Yes, he said, and he will have done a great work before he departs. A great work, yes, but not the greatest unless he finds a state suitable to him. For in a state which is suitable to him, he will have a larger growth, and be the saviour of his country as well as of himself. The causes why philosophy is in such an evil name have now been sufficiently explained. The injustice of the charges against her has been shown. Is there anything more which you wish to say? Nothing more on that subject, he replied. End of Book 6, Part 2